Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Zivi Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And speaking of books, I have two of my own books coming out this spring and summer. Princess Charming is a picture book, which debuts on April 19th, and Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature comes out on July 1st, and it is truly a labor of love. I hope you'll pre-order, order, and join me on tour as I go across the country. You can find out more at zibbyowens.com or bookendsmemoir.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens because I always post about everything. Enjoy the show. Katie Turr is the author of Rough Draft, a memoir Katie is the anchor of Katie Turr Reports on MSNBC, a correspondent for NBC News, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Unbelievable. She is the recipient of a 2017 Walter Cronkite Award for Excellence in Journalism. She lives in New York City. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for coming on Mom's Note Time to read books to discuss Rough Draft. I appreciate you having me. I'm excited to talk. I have to say, I did not realize until I read about it in the book about Trump's particular focus on you. <laughs> and so I uh, I was reading it all weekend and I told my husband about it. He's like, well, well, let's just look it up. So anyway, so then we watched the footage when he was like, little Katie, whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is nuts. Anyway. You were not cable news junkies during 2016, clearly. No, or no. at least not MSNBC cable news junkies. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. 
<laughs> well, why don't we just jump in and just start there? And then I really want to talk about uh, your parents because I found their story just absolutely fascinating. How did you get to the point in your life, and you already wrote a whole book about this, which now I want to go back and read, where where you ended up in that position and how did that even, how did you even handle that? So unbelievable. The last book is a really fun read and I actually picked it up the other day and I thought, oh, wow. I did a good job with this, Aww. which I, 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 I'm excited by because I usually, when I read old writing, I'm horrified. But um, my parents were journalists. I grew up in journalism and I wanted to have a big global adventure. So I rose up in the ranks from local to network. And then I got the network and I moved away to London and had the entire world as my coverage zone. So I was going to... Surabaya, Indonesia, and Banda Aceh, and um, Singapore, and Thailand, and Rome, and Budapest, and like I'll go on and on and on. And I just had this incredible position uh, as a foreign correspondent. But then I, you know, I came home one weekend to remind New York that I existed still, because sometimes they can forget (laughs) about you when you're not in their face. And at the very same time, this would-be candidate for president descended a set set of gold stairs escalator and told everybody that he was running and that Mexicans were rapists and some were good people. And it caused a big kerfuffle. And and NBC said, well, why don't you cover Donald Trump for a few weeks? It'll only be a few weeks because nobody thought that the campaign would go anywhere. Uh, And then you'll go back to London. And I said, sure. And a few weeks weeks turned into 510 days living out of a suitcase, losing my apartment overseas and my post overseas, gaining uh, a job in politics and an, eventually an anchoring spot and finding the love of my life and my husband. And now everything has changed. Certainly not the path I thought I would be on, but I can't complain about it. I, uh, I got very lucky. Wow. That is a story. Yeah. Why do you think, I know you, you wrote about this, that you were, you know, you were really just texting, um, to take notes of whatever Trump was saying and he thought you weren't paying attention. And then like, why do you think there was this fascination? Why did he keep talking about you and all this footage and everything? So I think that part of it was he saw me being there covering him as NBC news, taking him seriously. You know, I was, I was the first full-time network correspondent to be on his campaign. I also think that he was confident that he would be able to charm me, Mm. charm me into just, just repeating whatever he wanted repeating. And I think he thought it, I think he ultimately likes a bit of banter, not banter, uh, likes, I don't even know how to describe it. Like the, 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 the bouncing ball back and forth. He likes to, to spar. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Spar. 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 And uh, so I think part of it was because I was the first one there. Part of it, I think was because I was a woman and then the desire to spar. Well, that is such a wild ride that you went on and it was wild. And at at time, you know, it was, it was really interesting. It was scary at times. And most of all, it was, it was captivating to watch this country change. No matter what you think of how it turned out, it was captivating to watch this country change. And it's scary looking back on it, especially as we have so many, so many people in this country who have decided that that they don't want to participate in democracy any longer. Mm-hmm. They want uh, election results to be overturned, uh, and they believe lies. It's it's scary. You know, yeah. it was the cusp of a very scary time that we're currently living in. But Trump, of course so famously, you know, loathed 
journalists and thought that the media like never, it, it was all fake news and blah, 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 blah. And yet there you are trying to report the news. I mean, how did that feel? He loathed journalists, but he was desperate for our attention. Yeah. I don't think he even, I don't not necessarily think that he loathed this either. I think he, I think he likes the bright lights. Mm-hmm. He likes the, the focus being on him and reporters gave him that. Wow. It was weird. It was definitely a really weird experience. It was not like any political campaign anyone has covered. It was not like a story I'd ever covered. And at times it it got, it got scary in terms of my own personal safety. And, And that's for my colleagues. You know, we, there were moments where, you know, we didn't feel comfortable. We all at the end of it ended up having armed security with us. Like former Secret Service agents who would be by our side wherever we went because there were threats. Wow. Well, you come by this living on the edge, if you will, earnestly through your parents and their adventures. I loved learning about the rise of even sort of helicopter coverage, breaking news, how how the team of them really reshaped things. The image of your mom when your dad was covering a fire and she was in this car with the gas, not properly, you know, basically this Molotov cocktail. And he was just so in it, right. And running in and she was there with her head bent over. It was such a vivid scene. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this woman, I mean, you know, (laughs) I probably didn't explain that well enough to people listening, but there is a scene in which Katie talks about her parents and her, and they started young, right? Your mom was like, how old was she? My mom was my dad was 18. My mom was 23. Oh my gosh. Crazy. Very young, very young. And they decided to get into this coverage by this, it was like this magnetic draw to this, to adrenaline and, and disaster. And your dad, (laughs) especially just, you know, this is a total prefrontal cortex lack of development <laughs> response. Do you know what I mean? This is like why people can't drive a car till they're 25 when he's like running into flames and she a little yeah. bit older is thinking like, anyway, but, but also putting, putting them at risk in the pursuit of news, which essentially is sort of, is like what's happened with you. Well, I mean, I just, I think I saw that what they did and kind of just assumed that part of the job was that you, you run headfirst into danger and, and like you were going to be threatened as a journalist. I mean, they had death threats after they covered the LA riots and my dad's gun under his pillow. Talk about that in the book. Yeah. Um, And I think part of me just subconsciously thought like, well, you know, this is, this is what happens. Like people hate you so much that sometimes they want to hurt you. And you mentioned that they, he gave you a gun when you went to college, right? You just put it under your pillow or something. Oh my God. So I, I totally forgot about that until I started writing the memoir. I I don't, I buried it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I grew up shooting guns. He would take me to the the shooting range. It was, it was a, a great bonding experience growing up. <laughs> Looking back on it, I have, I have some questions, but when I went to college, I mean, there's a lot that leads up to this and I, you know, not to just throw it out there willy nilly, but he handed me my grandmother's silver revolver and he said, keep it with you for protection. And it wasn't loaded. And I just remember taking it and saying, yeah, okay. And I put it in my bedside table at my dorm room, which is, I think, completely insane. And I forgot about it. I totally forgot it was there. Didn't tell anyone about it. It was like buried under a bunch of stuff. And I I think I I realized it was there when we moved and I gave it back. 
when I moved to another house. But I, I looking back and thinking about that now as a adult who has her own kids, it's the most bonkers. I actually was, I was worried about putting it in the books. I thought people might think that I was nuts. No, you did it. It didn't come across. People might think I was nuts. (laughs) It didn't make you seem nuts because you so clearly (laughs) outlined all the things that led up to this being a moment that didn't even cause you to blink an eye. Yeah. Like, and so it made total sense. I feel like that out of context would be very different. But once you've seen, you're like, oh yeah, sure. Of course he would do that. And she'd be like, okay, because you know, you got like picked up out of your bed to go cover, you know, be flying a helicopter and cover news things all the time. It's, it's quite a a childhood, you know, all that. It was a really wild (laughs) childhood. Yeah, definitely. You wrote a lot about, or not a lot, you you wrote very well about your dad's abusive tendencies and later explained sort of your understanding of that in the context of what happened afterwards. But even the, the external, all the people who could overhear some of the violence and the footage that you listened to with your dad literally attacking your mom. I mean, that was intense. I mean, how does that, how did you experience that even writing it and reliving it? And now of the, you know, past the age that they were to know what it must've been like for your mom, you know, looking at that and hearing it, it's twofold. One is a daughter, it's visceral. And it reminded me a lot of this, the scary moments of my childhood. And it just really brought me back to a dark place. But then also in this moment that we're living in the idea that it just wouldn't happen now where somebody in a prominent position would be on tape recorded being not just verbally abusive, but you could hear the physical assault on tape, that tape would be on the internet. You know, it would, somebody would have put it out there, even if they didn't have the the guts to confront it directly or, or by name, somebody anonymously would get it out there and it would be a known thing. And it wouldn't, it, it would have been very difficult for the family and it would have been destructive for us in terms of the ability to to make money, which is such an ugly idea. But at the same time, it would have stopped it. You know, it wouldn't have kept going because it would have been out there. I, but it was a different time. You know, people didn't have the internet that wasn't around. People, you know, abuse toward wives and women. While it wasn't accepted, it wasn't surprising, I mm-hmm. guess. And it was just kind of a thing that happened. It really got me when... I got my first job in the news business and I walked into KTLA, a place that I had visited when I was a kid with my grandmother to to drop off tapes. And this older assignment editor, he must have been in his 60s at the time, late 50s, 60s, walked up to me and he just he just looked at me and he said, like you're Bob Tur's daughter. And I said, Yeah. And he said, I used to listen to him, you know, berate your mother on those tapes. And he just made a face and a noise like, oh, and he walked away. And I, and I remember thinking, oh my God, I remember being horrified that everybody knew mm-hmm. and thinking like that nobody didn't even, yeah, nobody but, did even at, but at the time I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that nobody did anything at the mm-hmm. time. It was more, oh my God, everybody knows our ugly family secrets. It's hard. And it was really hard writing about it. It's hard talking about it. I I'm, I mean, between, not between us, I'll, t- I'll tell anyone okay. this. Um, I am terrified 
about this book coming out. Everyone's like, aren't you so excited? And I, I am, I am suppressing a panic attack (laughs) because it is, it's so personal and it's so revealing. And I, and I, I hate the idea of abuse being a defining attribute of my existence. And I also, I really hate the idea of my mom having to live it again. And I, and I am scared about hurting my dad, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because my dad was, and is, and you know, we don't have much of a relationship now, but my dad was really fun, Mm -hmm. really fun growing up. And so much, my dad was my hero for a lot of my childhood. And it's hard to rectify, as I write in the book, the hero and the harm. Mm-hmm. It's hard. And it's hard to juggle those two things into, into, you know, in one thought, think back at my childhood and, and miss it, like really deeply miss it. And then in the next thought, be sick to my stomach over it. It's hard. Yeah. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So why, why do it? So the pandemic hit. It's a, a few reasons. One was it's a fascinating family history and I wanted to get it down. Mm-hmm. Just as a journalist, I knew that like this has got to we got. I got to write this down because this is a great story. I also wanted my kids to have a piece of their family history on paper. My husband has a memoir about his also completely insane childhood. His dad was a, a drug dealer in Miami. <laughs> and so they have that. I want them to have my side of it also. And I want them to know more about me because I feel like Los Angeles is so much a part of my identity, but it's lost. I've been here for so long in New York that that side of me is, is if I didn't get it down, it would have would have disappeared. I wanted to know what streets in the Palisades because I spend a lot of time there. I was like, okay, <laughs> oh, where, gosh. where is this? I'm trying. I have a guess at this location. We can talk after. I don't know. <laughs> you don't have to reveal. I can. There were many streets. I can tell you yeah, all of them. I know. Yeah, the Palisades. I love the Palisades. <laughs> no, 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 just... <laughs> what is your husband's book for people interested? My in husband's that? book is called 
the last pirate, he would roll his eyes at me talking about it. I asked. It's, it's not uh, your fault. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Last Pirate. It's a it's about his growing up having no idea who his dad was after the age of or no idea, period. But when he was 10, his dad disappeared and his mom just said, Oh, I think he's dead. And when he was in his 20s, he got curious and he tried to dig around to find out what happened to him. And he, on a lark, petitioned the National Archives to see if they had any information about Anthony DeCopel. And they sent him back thousands of pages of, a, of an indictment. It was the, the United States versus Anthony DeCopel. It was the, the court case that landed him in prison. Uh, it was like a 10 million pound, 10 million, 10 million pound marijuana bust. Wow. <laughs> it's interesting. The whole, thing, the whole thing starts out with him on a road trip with his mom after they had just dug up a, 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 a cooler from his aunt's backyard, which contained $500,000 in cash. <laughs> wow. <laughs> which he didn't know about at the time. His mom didn't tell. Did they, did they, did anyway. they keep it? Oh, they kept that. Definitely. Okay, that's, good. <laughs> that's, yes, definitely. They kept it. I don't, I, I wonder how they used it. I think they, yeah, they kept it. Anyway, so back to why I wrote this book, the pandemic, everybody, you know, everybody had an experience in the pandemic where they thought to themselves, because we were all so isolated and so forced to confront our lives. They thought, is this what I want to do with myself? Am I the person that I should be? And so in that forced state of self-reflection, I started to wonder if I really should have been a journalist. Like, did I become a journalist because I wanted to be a journalist or did I become a journalist because my parents put me on that path? And then the country is falling apart. Is my job a good job? As in, am I doing good for society with my work? And I questioned that. And then my mom sent me you know, it got dark in my head and my mom sent me the hard, hard drive containing all of the footage that she and my, and my dad shot over the years. And it was, it was like my, my childhood in a box. And I remember opening it up and looking through the videos and thinking, and then being just brought back into all of the complicated emotions that I felt and realizing that I couldn't answer the question of where I'm going without looking at where I'd been. And in order to do that, I could start going to therapy. <laughs> I'd already done therapy when I was younger and I found it helpful, but also hard because I just hysterically cried through every session. Or I could write it down. And writing Unbelievable was cathartic. It helped me get through the craziness of the 2016 election. And so I did it with rough draft. And I have to say it was a whole lot harder <laughs> than writing about a, an experience, a contained experience. And there were many moments where I thought, oh my God, I shouldn't do this. I should quit. But I didn't. And now it's all down. And I, I think I feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to write it down. And then it's another thing to decide to release it to the public, right? You could have kept it for your kids and your just to work on your own mental health, but there at some point is that yeah. decision, probably because it's such a good book. You're like, well, I better sell it. I mean, that was, that's what I would think is like, well, now I wrote it and it's really good. I better sell it. <laughs> I would, I, to be honest, I, I, without the deadline and the pressure of a contract, I would have never done it. I, I, that's how I operate. <laughs> I just would have never, would have never done it otherwise. <laughs> so what are you most what would happen that you were that you would be like? I'm so glad 
Like that fear was unnecessary. I'm so glad I did it. Like in your, in your best case scenario, is it that other people who have experienced abuse in their families come to you and say, oh my gosh, I feel understood. I feel less alone. Is it people saying like getting critical acclaim for the book? Is it like, what, what is it that would make it worth it to you to get over this fear if you knew it now? I hope that it's, you know, I, I do hope that it helps some people. And, and I, you know, I, I have, I feel it's very presumptuous to say I wrote this to help other people, but I've given it to a few people that I am close with or, or that I know that I thought I knew well, mm-hmm. some of my colleagues, especially, and, and they read it and, and they've said, oh, this is very familiar to me. And mm-hmm. I was surprised by that. So that made it feel better. I think mostly I'd like to come to some peace with my dad. Yeah. Well, I didn't even... And that relationship. We didn't even discuss one of the bigger pieces of of your story too, which is what's happened with your dad and his... Why don't you tell that story? Because you told it really well in the book. Pronouns get difficult here. Um, I will. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Disclaimer that it's it's hard for everybody. And when I talk about my dad in the past, I use he. And when I talk about my dad in the present or post 2013, it's she, my dad transitioned or, or began the process of transitioning in 2013. And she called me and told me that she was making this decision while I was covering the Boston marathon bombings completely. <laughs> for me, it felt completely out of the blue for her. It was certainly not. And it was a moment where she said, this is going to be great because this is the reason I have been so angry. This is where all my rage has come from. And this means that everything's better. And I said, okay, that's great. But I do think we need to, and I, I had tr- avoided doing this for so long because I knew that it was just lighting a match. And I said, I think we need to address some of the stuff that happened in, in my childhood that, that happened while I was growing up, the way that you treated mom and the way that you treated me and my brother. And I just think we need to, to reckon with it if we really want to move forward and, and change and become the best versions or the most honest versions of ourselves. And it, it was, you know, it was like lighting a, a match, you know, in a, in a tinderbox and it, it blew up. And then we, you know, I got the flames under control and and because she just didn't want to address it. Like she just didn't, didn't want to talk about it. And it, it just, it was okay. And then it wasn't okay. And we didn't talk about it and we still really haven't talked about it. And it's, it's resulted in on her side, some public blow ups and jabs at me, which were really hurtful. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to get into any of it. So I, I didn't want to talk about the abuse. So I just kind of shut up and didn't say anything. And I, I just didn't feel like that was appropriate to be out there. It's personal, private family stuff. I think I'm on the cusp of that generation where like being tough was the most valued and prized attribute for a woman. Like, I'm so tough. I can deal with this. I don't need to talk about my vulnerability. And I know that like the generation or the, the women who are even slightly younger than me have a much better way of embracing their vulnerability and leading with it but I wasn't I wasn't in that space and then I uh you know so a documentary came I, I'm kind of rambling I, I've been told that I ramble so I'm sorry 
That's okay. It's um, a podcast. Yeah, this is the yeah, space for you to talk. Podcast. So yeah, so that's that's what happened with the relationship. It's it's just it's we're estranged, and it takes two in any estrangement. I think there's one in five people that have a close family estrangement, which is a lot of people. That is a lot of people. And and you know it's 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 both of us at this point. It just um, takes a picking up a phone, and I think neither one of us neither one of us are doing it for whatever reason. I wonder. What will happen after this comes out? If the phone, uh... I, I, I do too. I do too. I'm scared. I'm scared. Definitely scared. Well, it's pretty amazing that you're doing it anyway. I think when you are writers who are scared and who are really putting it out there, those are the best stories to read. Honestly, I mean, <laughs> if you're not taking risks, really, if you're not like going deep into the real stuff, the reader knows that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's a good sign is all I'm trying to say. And I have to say also, I mean, before I started this podcast, you know, I would have thought abuse was like X percent. And now I feel like it's like 10 X percent. In other words, like every, especially in memoir, or maybe there's just something about the memoir genre that really, or the people publishing memoirs, or maybe it's like a, not a fair representation, but there's so much abuse. But I think also part of it is that it's complicated. You know, it's not, a lot of abuse is not, it's not so black and white where it's like, this is, this was an abusive person and they are awful. No, there's love. to condemn them to history. Absolutely. There is love there and Mm -hmm. the relationships are fraught. You know, there is, there is abuse, but then there's also, you know, the kind words and the, and, and the embraces and the fun and, I think people don't talk about it because they don't want to wash away everything else. Yep. Or they think to themselves, it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Because look at all this other stuff. Did which you read, I still think about. Have you read, I think it's called Never Simple by Liz Shire. You might want to no, read it. It's not. a memoir. It's really interesting. Her mom had some mental illness. But even when we talked about it, she's like, I, I hope I'm making clear that how much I, you know, I loved her, even though it was so difficult. And it's, it's a very similar thing that you're saying, like when you expose the worst of people, you don't want them, you know, it's the whole thing of like, I can say my mom's annoying, but like, I don't want you saying my mom's annoying. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Of course. I'll make fun of my brother, but you can't make fun. I mean, not that I'm making fun of my mom, but like, I certainly don't want anyone else doing that. So. Yeah. It's cause you don't, cause you don't want people to you don't want something to be painted with a, a very broad brush. And I think we have a tendency in, in, in this moment that we're in to just be very cut and dry about, about people, about things that were said. And I, I find oh. in my personal experience, it's much harder than that. Okay. Well, Katie, I think you have nothing to be scared of. I'm really excited for you. I do believe this is going to help a lot of people. I loved reading this book. I really couldn't put it down and sincerely enjoyed it and couldn't wait to read it and then was not at all disappointed. And I just love stories that, you know, I just thought it was great. So put on whatever fortification needed because I'm, it's, it's great. It's just, I don't know. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And and I'm so honored that you wanted to have me. I think you're amazing. And I I love this podcast. I love the conversations you have. So thank you. Thank you. That made my day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks so much. Hope our paths cross in person sometime. See you later, of course. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, Zibby. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.